Messi the Magician books World Cup final date with the world champions as Morocco's fairy tale comes to an end. I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And, making his long-awaited triumphant return to the podcast, it's Joel Sanderson-Murray. I'm not sure about triumphant, but yeah, it's nice to be back. <laughs> it's great to have you back, Joel. Welcome. What have you been doing, Joel? What have you been up to? Uh, just, you know, just relaxing, getting some, uh, some nice <laughs> World Cup football in, uh, taking it all in, enjoying Liverpool, about ruining my weekend, just, just having a nice time. <laughs> Well, that's coming back soon. We've got the Carabao yeah. Cup in exactly seven days from now. <laughs> Everyone's looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've got uh, we've got plenty of World Cup stuff to talk about today. Before we get into all that, uh, just a reminder before we do get stuck in that if you want to get in touch with the podcast with your questions or queries, uh, we will be doing one more World Cup podcast after the after the final on Sunday. Um, then the email address to get in touch is podcast at onefootball Let's uh, let's talk about the semi-finals now. Then we'll start with Argentina's three-nil victory over Croatia. Uh, quite an easy uh, evening's work for this in the end, Matt. Uh, for Argentina, we sort of predicted on the podcast we did earlier in the week that they might have a bit of difficulty breaking Croatia down. It was it was pretty simple in the end. Were you surprised by how simple they found it? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, Croatia haven't been brilliant, so that's not exactly a kind of shocking result. Um, but I did think they put up a little bit more of a fight. They really seemed to be shell-shocked by the first goal. And it seems like they were very, uh, a bit too aggressive in trying to find find an equaliser right away. Like we've seen from Croatia maybe hanging in the game a little bit later on, um, you know, taking it to extra time and, and taking it to penalties. When they, they were caught out quite a few times towards the end of the first half, I think before uh, Alvarez got the second. And I was thinking, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you don't need to equalise now. There's, there's another 50-odd minutes. Um, <laughs> there was a few breakaways. Um, and then one of the breakaways from their own corner sees Alvarez grab the second. And at that point is, you know, pretty much good night just before half time. I was really, it seemed a very un-Croatia like performance. Um, maybe they panicked a little bit. Maybe they didn't, I don't know, maybe they fancied their chances of, of getting back into it and winning in 90 minutes. I'm, I really wasn't sure. Argentina, I think, have gone from strength to strength in the tournament and have hit such good form at the right time. They're scoring goals. They obviously, like we mentioned before last few podcasts, then concede any late goals and have a bit of a late uh, panic, uh, like we saw against Netherlands and against Australia. And considering where they started with that 2-1 defeat to Saudi Arabia, which seems like so long ago, even though it was only about three weeks, um, yeah, they've they've hit form at the right time heading into the final. Yeah, they bounced back pretty well from that Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. defeat. It looked pretty bleak for them at that point, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you, did you get the same feeling about Argentina here, Joel? That they've kind of hit hit the stride at the right time. That this was probably their best performance of the tournament so far, and it, it probably bodes well going into the final for them as well. Yeah, yeah. I think they peaked at the right time, and, and you know, the, there's that old adage about tournament football that you want to peak late on, don't you? Um, I think every sort of you know, if you look past it, every tournament winner, any World Cup winner, any Copper America winner, Euros winner, they all have one bad game at some point and you have to get that out of the way and hopefully that happens early enough and, and thankfully for Argentina, it did happen in the first game. But to be, to be honest, even in that game against Saudi Arabia, they do have three disallowed goals, which are all the tightest of offsides, aren't mm. they? Um, which, and, you know, if, if one of them goes a different way or we don't have the semi-automated system that we've had for the first time this year at the World Cup, uh, maybe they, that game goes a different way. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that they have impressed me a bit more as the games have gone on. Um, I don't think they're that great against Australia either, but um, they get the job done. And they, they seem to be able to, to win games by 
just playing well in bursts more than, you know, playing well over a prolonged period of time. Like, I don't think they've been great over 90 minutes in the tournament, even. But possibly, as, as we say, against Croatia, they were. That's probably, it was their best game and their best game over an extended period of time. But they're very well, very good at sort of, you know, uh, taking the game away in, in sort, sort of 10, 15-minute spells. And they're very good at going from 1-0 to 2-0 uh, and, and getting that job done. I mean, they've led 2-0 in every single game since um, the Saudi Arabia one. And obviously been pulled back a couple, you know, against the Netherlands, but end up getting over the line there. But yeah, they, they've uh, they definitely sort of uh, the the story and the momentum has been building as the gate that the World Cup has gone on, and you know they, they come into the tournament as you know, one of the favourites, and um, the story is about Messi. But then that sort of uh, gets bent a bit because of the Saudi <laughs> Arabia results. But it's that's come back around now, and uh, everyone has gone oh, all along. This is all going to be Messi's tournament, and um, mm. that looks like it's proven to possibly be the case, isn't it? Yeah, the story is very much about Messi now. It's uh, you know if you looked at any media over the last couple of days, any TV program, any. Uh, you know, looking on Twitter, it's it's messy mania is in is in full flow in a way that I don't think I've ever, I can ever really remember it being at any point during his entire career. Really, maybe you know one of the old classical performances when he held his shirt up and all that in the past. Maybe that was uh, on a par with this. But yeah, it seems to be the um, you know the hype is is uh, is really building at the moment. Um, was he actually man of the match for you in this game, Matt? Because because uh, he he didn't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess when you make such a decisive contribution. It's very easy to point to man of the match, I guess. So who gives out the man of the match? Is it the Budweiser? Sponsors, yeah. Think, yeah. The, the, the sponsors. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they just go for Messi because they know it's a crowd pleaser. Mm. It, it brings me back to a very random point, and I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but I am. Portsmouth won the <laughs> FA Cup in 2008. Um, and I remember Carnu scored the winner in the semi-final and the final against Cardiff and someone else, West Brom maybe. Um and he got man of the match. And ever since then, I always thought to myself, they just give man of the match to goal scorers. That's what they do. Because Carnu was crap in both games and he just scored the winning goal in one nil victories. So every time they just give it to a goal scorer now, I think it's the easy option. Did you actually analyse the game? There's been a weird trait throughout this tournament about the man of the match beginning to a, a strange player. You know, when um, Kevin De Bruyne wins it, when Belgium mm. beats Canada, doesn't he? And, and then mm. afterwards he goes, I, I played shite, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know why I won <laughs> Maybe because I'm called Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, yeah. he says it himself. And, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been a weird thing all tournaments, hasn't it? It's, it's, po- it's popularity contest, probably. Having said that, I actually thought Messi was very good and deserved to win it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess you could dig into the stats and find out who, you know, who effectively was the best player through a whole sorts of combination of things. But, you know, when you take a, a high pressure penalty in the first half and bag what is one of the brilliant World Cup assists against, against you know, turning Guardiola inside out, then... Mm. It's kind of difficult to disagree on the face of it. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I've been guilty of of plumping for perhaps some odd choices for our man of the matches during this tournament. I mean, for the England-France game the other day, I gave it to Giroud just because he scored the winning goal and I didn't yeah, think anyone exactly. else kind of like stood out really as a... I don't know, can you give it to, to a player on the losing team? I, I, yeah, I feel like that's a bit weird sometimes. That's too. very taboo. Yeah. Like, you, you, you have to <laughs> stick your neck out and be some sort of edge lord to give it to a losing player. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Messi thought it was Julian Alvarez who was man of the match, who of course had a hand in all three goals, winning the penalty for the first one, uh, scoring the other two. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if you would you would call his first goal in that game a wonder goal. It's sort of uh, got a little bit of good fortune. It was a bit like a, a dog chasing a balloon at times, wasn't it? But he uh, he got it under control and slotted it away in the end. Uh, I was saying on the podcast the other day, Joel, that I think the hype around Alvarez is a little bit too much at the moment. Has been a little bit overplayed. Um, but you know he's uh, he's making a very good case for himself. He could end up with the the World Cup golden boot. Have you been impressed what you've seen from him, particularly at this tournament? He's obviously doing something right because he's keeping Latoura Martinez out of the team. And, um, yeah. And Martinez has been in really good form for into the season. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, I have been impressed, uh, especially in, in, the, in the last game against Croatia. Um, uh, obviously, scoring the goals. I mean, the, um, the the first goal is a bit funny, isn't it, really? It's sort of like mm. all the Croatian defenders forgot how to defend for a second. But um, the second one, I know, and obviously is down to Messi, but... Um, you know, Al- Alvarez takes it really well. He gets in a good position, and then the finish is is spot on. You know, it, it looks easy enough, but I think it's you know he's still got to stick it into the back of the net. And and yeah, I mean, he's he, he works works very hard, which I guess is like what you sort of uh, the basic necessity of a striker nowadays is making sure you you're pressing well and doing the defensive part of the job well. But he's, he's, he is doing that well. He's uh, he's you know he gets in position you know, very quickly and. Um, it's it's interesting for me that you know Man City have this guy lying around, and obviously we don't talk too much about club football today. But yeah, City have this guy lying around just to play whenever Haaland uh, doesn't fancy a game. You know what I mean? He gets to come in, and the guy's probably going to win the you know has a chance to win the World Cup on Sunday, and it's you know he's played a pivotal role in that, and it's uh, that's just mental to me. But but yeah, he's he's quietly impressed me. I, I do think maybe the the buzz about him is is like you said, there, that maybe maybe a bit too much like he's you know I don't think he's been Argentina's best player obviously I don't think he's been the best even the best striker at the tournaments including other countries and that but he's he's, he's quietly done his job well he's quietly chipped him with a few goals and uh, he's got two goals in the semi-finals to his name and um and and yeah, he's shown that he has this this bundle of potential, which you, you know we, we were told he was when he came from uh, from Argentina to Manchester City. And then mm. I'm sure City supporters listening to this and hosting this will be very excited about what's to come. <laughs> oh, they are! I can, I can speak for at least <laughs> one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny that uh, you know City got Alvarez for a bargain, really twenty twenty million something like that. It was, um, and he's uh, he's definitely one for the future. And there was some talk at the time about them maybe getting Enzo Fernandez from River Plate at the time. Obviously, he went to Benfica for um, a very similar kind of knockdown fee. And the talk in the past few days is that Liverpool are now interested in ben- in Enzo Fernandez, and Benfica want hundred million euros for him. So it just shows oh. that like it's it's important to get these players at the right time. Otherwise, if you let them go to one of these kind of stepping stone clubs. As, uh, as as I think Benfica are in this scenario, then uh, they're gonna they're gonna want a lot of money. You know, Dortmund have been masters at that kind of thing, haven't they? In the past few years, uh, turning over players for a big profit. So, yeah, if you want Enzo Fernandez and he looks like a very fantastic talent as well, then you're gonna have to pay a lot of money for him. It seems. Yeah, going back to to Messi for a moment, Matt. Um, I mean, there's been so much about this being his last World Cup and the last kind of chance for him to put some crowning glory on his career, win this win this trophy for Argentina. Are you personally invested in Messi winning this tournament? Do you want him to win it? Are you a Messi fanboy? And you know, <laughs> uh, the leg, uh, the tattoo on my leg would suggest yes. <laughs> um, no, I, to be honest, I'm not personally invested in the Messi Ronaldo debate. Neither played for my club, played for my country. Um, they're both fantastic players, and yeah, just that's the way I live my life. Uh, but at this point of the stadium, of the stadium, the tournament, I am, I am invested in Messi winning it just because it's such a. 
it's such a career defining moment that for someone to kind of achieve it at the end has this fairy tale quality about it. And I'm all for a big story and storyline of football. So yeah, especially over France, who we've seen win it four years ago, it would be a really nice thing for Messi to win it. Um, and also just to see Ronaldo fanboys explode on Twitter <laughs> would be quite funny. Not, not again, not that I'm picking sides, not that I prefer Messi over Ronaldo. If, if it was Ronaldo in the same position, I'd also want him to win it just to see Messi fanboys head explode. So yeah, just either or, it'd just be quite funny just to see the outcome of it all. Um, yeah. Again, Messi and Argentina, I don't have a foot in either camp with them or, or with Argentina or France. So I'm, I'm not really fussed who wins it. Um, but yeah, it would be quite nice, like I said, for what Messi's done for football to see him pick it up. I'm team Messi, to be honest. I mean, I'm not, you know, that bothered. I'm not that emotionally invested mm. in it. But, you know, if Cristiano Ronaldo wanted my support, he shouldn't have played for Man United twice, should he? That's, yeah. that's his fault, basically. <laughs> I, what I also found is quite funny. Like, we talk about Lionel Messi winning it and becoming the GOAT, right? Pele has three. Three World Cup, which just seems inconceivable to me. But then what's quite funny is the majority of that French squad will have two. Yeah. Like 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 Steve Mandanda, respect to him, will have two <laughs> World Cups to his name. And I don't think he's played a minute. Like there's just I don't know, there's just quite a few players who you're like, hmm, I'm not quite sure their club career will ever see them go down as one of the best to do it. But they've got two World Cups sitting at home. Yeah. So yeah, it's just so it's just quite a bit odd to be honest. But then some players like Mbappe, you know, technically aside from the Champions League, has got the trophy cabinet to match Messi, Ronaldo and Pele, and he's only 23. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that would be a bit insane. Yeah. I mean, I do hate that whole, like, greatest player of all time thing because you cannot possibly quantify it, really. Like, yeah. Or you, or you could quantify it, but people ignore that. Like you say, people ignore the fact that Pele's <laughs> won three World Cups and just go, oh, Messi's the best player because he's it's part of this era. I think yeah. he's, he's the greatest player of his generation or at least one of the greatest players of his generation. That's that's what you just, say. Just imagine in like 20 years time when we're 50 odd and we're like, oh, you never saw Messi play. Trust me, trust me. And there's yeah. probably some new kids that everyone's, you know, tweeting or whatever social media yeah. platforms about then. Probably not Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mastodon. We'll all be yeah. on there then. What about you, Joel? Have you nailed your colours to the messy mast? And, and if he does win this tournament, do you think it will kind of put an end to that tedious Messi-Ronaldo debate once and for all? Or will people still find a way to argue that long into the night? Yeah, I still think that the, the arguments will continue until after they've retired or after they both end up at where the next club they're going to end up. Um, you know, where Messi ends up in the MLS, Ronaldo goes to Saudi Arabia. That Somehow that debate will carry on even there. And Jesus Christ, you know, get a life. But... Uh, no, it's I, I. I mean, from a personal point of view, I, I prefer watching Messi. And like I, I, I would say he's the better all-round player. But my opinion doesn't really matter too much at all. And, and also, there's a bit of bias in there, I guess, because Ronaldo plays for Man United. And I hate Man United, but uh, the thing <laughs> is, I, I, like like you said, I don't know how you determine it. Like it's it's a it's a pointless arguments that put this conversation. And then, but I guess you know maybe that's because I come from a different time where you know you supported football clubs rather than supported football players I guess and mm. and this thing about you know uh, being sort of giving all your energy towards one player and, and following a player from club to club and say, saying that you support a player before a club that's that became from a different time than, than, than myself so uh, I don't really understand it too much but maybe I'm the wrong person to ask but uh, but no, it's in terms of the the greatest of all. I mean, yeah. How how do you say it's it's always going to be a subjective personal point of view, isn't it? It's um, but like Matt alluded to about the the story of it, it I guess 
you know, it would be nice. It would be nice if Messi does win it because it, the thing is about this one, this, this World Cup, um, he's the contribution he's uh, provided towards it, where he scored so many important goals and so many important penalties, and and then. Um, you know, he sort of provided that assist on uh, uh, against Croatia, where you know it sort of reminded me of the goal he scored against the Athletic, uh, Athletic Club for Barcelona all mm. those years ago, where, where he just terrorises their defenders from the byline and, uh, and then slots it away. And this time, he provides the assist for Alvarez to score. But uh, he's he's show he's sort of like. I think I saw one of the one of the newspapers published on Twitter the other day that he's it's sort of like his greatest hits tour. He's he's providing all the hits along it. You know, he's had he's had, you know, the good long range goal. He's uh, scored a good goal against Mexico for that. He's you know, provided penalties, important goals, important winners. And now he's done like the, the, the part where he dribbles past all these players and lays one off for his for his teammates. So it's it, it is nice, but the best team will will should win the game on Sunday, and you know, and and, and then we will enjoy that. It's not about it might not be Messi's story at the end of it. It might be you know Kylian Mbappe as uh, nailed his colours to the master, being the greatest of all time. And <laughs> I do look forward to the, the next version of the Ronaldo Messi argument being you know Mbappe against Divokarigi, and I, I know where my my mass will be. There. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait to see what Messi's got planned for the encore. If this is his greatest hits yeah. tour, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, and well, Mbappe's another one. He could he could win his second World Cup at the age of twenty three on Sunday, and oh. uh, you know that's going to be pretty hard to beat. And I saw some guy on Twitter yesterday going on about Ronaldo, going, "Oh, he's way he's way clear of Messi. He's done it in four or five different leagues. You know, Messi's just played for Barcelona and then gone and played in a Farmers League. You can't compare them." And it's like, oh, God, this is so boring. It's always going to be boring, but you- yeah. You think that's ridiculous? Just wait till Messi and Ronaldo retire, yeah, and then it's all about yeah. But his company's got more revenue and turnover, <laughs> and then people will be comparing sort of off the pitch stuff that will just be it, it'll be that, and then it will be you know exactly what's going to happen. It will be their kids will get dragged into it. Yeah. Oh God, can't wait yeah. for that. Can't Cristiano for Junior. <laughs> Uh, Messi scored from the penalty spot in this game. Uh, a little bit of a controversial penalty in, in some quarters. Some people thought Livakovic was a bit unlucky. Um, what did you think, Matt? Was it a controversial or a stonewaller? Hmm. It was less than controversial, but also not a stonewaller. The thing is, uh, um, Alvarez gets there first. Mm. I thought, my first initial thought was he's already shot. Like you, You've shot your shot and you've run into the keeper and he can't really move out of the way. But then maybe you could say that he'd be able to run around Lukovakovic and tap it in. I don't know. He's he's basically impeded the player, right? He stuck his leg out and impeded the attacker. So I could see why it was a penalty. I don't think it was so harsh. I think yeah. I think you'd be fuming of the you know fume of the highest order if that wasn't given against your team. Yeah. wasn't given for your team. Sorry. Um, so yeah, even though it looks a bit a little bit like he ran into the keeper, he's. He's brought him down by accident or by, uh, you know, on purpose in the box. So it's a penalty for me. Yeah. I thought it was unlucky, but that doesn't yeah. really come into the referee's thinking. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't do, should it? Yeah. What about you, Jolly? Are you going to go full Gary Neville and say it was an, a, a disgrace of a decision here? Uh, yeah, I don't really understand the furor about it, to be honest. I thought, <laughs> you know, I thought it was a penalty. I mean, if it, it didn't get given and it looked at VAR and they gave it, that wouldn't be controversial either. I mean, Matt, Matt said it there, you, you know, um, Lovakovic puts his leg, leg out and you know whether, whether he's obviously not intended to bring him down but that, that does end up bringing him down and it's not like you know, Lovakovic has stayed, stayed completely still and Alvarez has uh, just ran into him and, and couldn't get past it's he's kind of dragged him down sadly and uh, it is a penalty and it might be a bit of um, 
the 2004 sorry 2005 Champions League semi final where um, Milan Barros gets brought down by Petr Cech, but thankfully Luis Garcia scores for Liverpool that day. And but that that would have been a stonewall penalty. The referee said afterwards, I think it's the same exact movement, same exact incidents, and um, and that would have been a penalty too. So uh, yeah, so, sorry, Dominic, it was a penalty. Fair enough. Fair enough. And you mentioned him earlier, Matt, uh, Josko Gvardiol, a uh, very good mm. young defender for Croatia. Um, I think he's still untangling his legs from what Messi did to him for that, that third <laughs> goal, though. Um, he, had, he had a bit of a horror show on the night, unfortunately, for him. Does this um, does this demystify him a little bit? Because there's been a bit of talk about a £100 million price tag for him in recent days as well. Um potentially demystifies him somewhat. I mean, when you're getting turned inside out by Lionel Messi, it's not actually that disgraceful. No. Yeah. Joy, joy <laughs> sort of a rite of, of passage, players. isn't it, that, for yeah, any exactly. player? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask Gerard Boateng how he dealt with it. Um, <laughs> I still think he's a fantastic defender. He could improve. I think 100 million. It, it, it's weird. When you talk about transfers these days, I always tend to look at it over the course of what they bring in a few seasons. Like you're not bringing Guardiola in now because he's worth 100 million. But if you take into account, I don't know, four or five years at a club, his improvements, what he'd give to a team over four or five seasons, yeah, it's probably worth twenty million a year to bring him in. So, and then, and then on top of that, you've actually got resale value, which maybe make even more money in four or five years. So, I think he's worth a lot. Hundred million seems a bit excessive to me, but it's also the state of the transfer market, where, like we mentioned with Enzo Fernandez, right, Benfica want hundred million. Any team who's got a big player, they've also got a big of, bit of money. They don't need to accept 40, 50 million. They might as well just whack 100 on because chances are someone will pay it. Um, yeah. And if not, you know, you kind of shoot your shot. It's not when you're asking for a pay rise. You demand a ridiculous amount and then you settle for what you actually thought you would get. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so like, even though they say 100 million, I'm sure when it comes down to 60. 60 to 70, they'll, they'll be more than happy to talk as well. Yeah, yeah. I know this is going to sound mad, but I actually think he defended it quite well. And I feel like he, he get he gets get somebody the touchline originally and then he manages to catch up with Messi and manages to sort of get back goal side of him. And then mm. he, he, Messi takes him to the byline. He knows what he's doing, but I don't think there's much he can do there. Um, no. Which I know is going to make me sound a bit, you know, you know, a tinfoil hat kind of thing, but you know, I think it's just genius and messy. And I think just it's like I don't think any other player can, or definitely not many players could can can do what Messi did there. And I think Guardiola actually defends him pretty well, and you know, does does as much as he can. And then in the end, Messi does what he does. And I think Guardiola's mm-hmm. just there going, oh, you know what? What do you want me to do, <laughs> lads? It's Messi. Yeah. I can't the, really do <laughs> I think the one. I would say getting turned inside out by Messi is no disgrace. But the one thing he has done is because he's been tracking him since the halfway line, I think, about when he first takes it past him. Um, Just the the best thing that Messi did was get into the box. Because as soon as he gets into the box and starts turning, Guardiola's like, right, this is danger, penalty. Like, (laughs) I think a more experienced player, Chiellini, um, would have just absolutely, you know, done a sacker on him and pulled him out. pulled him out halfway line, 50 yards from goal, maybe taking the yellow card. I think Guardiola's probably a bit eager. You know, it's up against Messi. Oh, my God, I, I, I can win the ball here or I shouldn't panic. Um, and then as time goes by, he lets him into the box. And from that point onwards, you can't lay a finger on him. So he's probably the master of his own downfall by not doing something about it earlier. But obviously, you know, like we said, it's Messi. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he'll, he'll, uh, he'll learn from that experience, no doubt. Yeah, so he'll uh, yeah, serve exactly. him well later in his career. Next time, we'll just take someone out there. And, yeah. So I'll send it off, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to Wednesday semi-final now, which finished France 2, Morocco 0. Uh, a shame that Morocco's uh, little fairy tale had to come to an end in that fashion, but... Uh, there you go. Um, I read a very good article from our colleague Podrick Whelan after the game last night, Joel, where he said that this was the game of the tournament. Was it the game of the tournament for you? Yeah, we uh, we we discussed this in the office last night. Actually, I thought so, you might uh, have done. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to take credit for that as well. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, I do think it was actually. Yeah, I, I do think it was game of the tournament because <clears throat> I think the the jeopardy that was that was at stake contributed to that. I think. The, the tension, the pressure of the situation of being a you know World Cup semi final, but um, I think it was also a bit of a surprise that it was so evenly contested as well. Because I think when France go one 0 up, you know, in the first five minutes uh, through Hernandez, I think you, yeah, I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that France would have pulled away from there, and this is mm. going to be a bit of a, a routine victory, and you know, a contribute, uh, sorry, a combination of. Morocco's sort of ability and to get back into it, and then the sort of confidence they built up, and also mixed with France, sort of sitting back and allowing Morocco to get back into it, sort of uh, made it a bit of a spectacle. And then, um, because I think the first half, I think Morocco deserved to get back into it, but then I think at half time, I, I personally expected France to sort of, okay, we're, we're back inside now, we know what we're going to do, we're going to go back out, and we'll kill this off within the first five minutes, and then. Um, you know, make this a bit of a routine thing to watch, but then Morocco again just managed to keep the game alive up until you know, you know, the sort of closing minutes of the of the tie, and and it, it was great. It was great because it could have gone either way. I think in the end, I, I don't mm-hmm. think I, I do think Morocco. Well, it was harsh on Morocco not to be able to take that to extra time. I think they done they done more than enough to to be given an extra thirty minutes there. And but you know. France, you know, are are ruthless and clinical in both boxes, and they proved that throughout the tournament. You know, again, I don't think France have had too many ninety-minute performances where they've been the best team in the, at the whole tournament. But they've just managed to be ruthless when it matters, as they did against England. Again, it was maybe a similar performance to the England one from from France, where they're not great for long periods, but they just take to. In, uh, incredible moments, two chances, and then you know they've they've won the game and, and they're in another final. And then, um, yeah, really harsh on Morocco. They've they've mm. been they've been great all tournaments. The, the, you know, the story of the tournament, let's say. And then, um, they, but they proved there that they're not only good defensively but really good going forward. And then, um, yeah, that's sad to see, but they made uh, they made Africa proud, haven't they? They certainly have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you and I both predicted pretty similar things about this game when we did the podcast the other day. We said um, it was going to be a tight game. Morocco were going to gonna give as good as they get, but France will probably have just about enough quality to, to get it through. Uh, get through. That's what happened in the end. But the game kind of panned out in a way that I didn't expect, really. I, you know, I didn't really know if Morocco had the ability to take the game to France in the way that they did after going behind. Was that a surprise to you as well? Um. Yeah, it was a little bit because you would have thought, like I mentioned earlier with Croatia, you'd have thought Morocco wouldn't really do too much until late on because, you know, you don't want to go for it after they've scored the Mm. first goal, definitely in the fifth minute. Uh, You don't want to end up 4-0 down at halftime. So I thought Morocco would have played it a little bit safer, but they really did try. And in the second half, they they ramped things up and you could see see that there was a kind of... uh, I think mental draining throughout the game going on. Like they came so close, and uh, was it Kunde who cleared it off the line? Yeah. Um, like it looked to me like when you exert so much physical energy, you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's tough, right? We're tired. 
But mentally, with every miss, with every chance, you could see it kind of just slowly sapping away from them. And they kept plugging away. But I don't, I don't know, it kind of just, after all of that effort, to then see a slightly jammy goal going for <laughs> yeah. Moadi, you just think, oh, for God's sakes, that's fallen for him. But we've been trying for the last 70 minutes. Yeah. Right? Nothing's fallen for us. <laughs> it must be so mentally as well as physically draining. Um, and I feel like you could see it with Morocco, but they really gave... So much effort. I think Amrabat, again, was brilliant in the midfield. Um, that Unai is fantastic. Um, I think uh, Atiyat Allah, when he came on as well, really gave some kind of impetus down the left. But throughout all of it, I would say it would be really encouraging for Argentina to watch. Um, uh, when we were doing a preview before the game, I, I, I think the fact that Jules Koundé isn't a right-back and the fact that Theo Hernandez absolutely loves to attack would give the likes of Buffal and Ziyech a lot of space and a lot of kind of opportunities to affect the game. And I thought Ziyech in the second half, everything good was coming down that right-hand side uh, with the majority of it. Um, and it's something that Argentina should definitely look to expose. And I think France's performances overall, um, I don't know. The fact that they've obviously won the World Cup last time would make them favourites, but I'm kind of leaning towards Argentina because I didn't, I didn't see anything from France that told me they could in that game or others, they could deal with a team for 90 minutes. Another day, a lucky deflection, and Morocco score. Yeah, I was surprised by um, by the way that Morocco, and, and impressed by the way that they they reacted to that early goal, because I don't think that was part of their game plan. I think that game plan was probably, um, you know, keep it tight in the early stages, um, mm. try and keep it nil-nil as long as possible, maybe nick a goal themselves and sit on that lead as they had done, you know, play on the counter-attack and the way that they instantly switched to being, you know, playing on the front foot and, and it was France that were playing on the counter-attack after that was uh, was what really impressed me. It seemed like Mo- uh, Morocco were, were ready for that. But they should have had a bloody penalty, shouldn't they, Joel? I'm pretty convinced about that personally. I don't know what the hell that decision was about, why it wasn't checked by VAR. Yeah, I don't really understand it myself, to be honest with you. Um, especially how, how quick it's sort of the situation resolved itself and the fact that um, Sofian Buffel gets booked himself and receives the yellow card and not only for seeming not to do anything to uh, Teo Hernandez but also because the rest of the game the referee didn't seem too keen on getting his yellow card out again so his his barometer for giving a yellow card to a player was either really low or really high I'm not quite I'm not quite sure he knew himself but um but yes I still don't Really, on I've watched it back. I, I, I sometimes like these uh, decisions that are sort of go down as being controversial and you know classes referee and mistakes. You can sort of have a look and see, see what the referee is seeing and kind of like make an excuse for them. But um, I can't for this one. I really can't at all. But the, the thing is, with, it's like you said there. It's, it was quickly resolved by VAR as well. Like there doesn't seem to be any check, or if there was a check, it was done very quickly. But that's been a sort of common theme throughout the tournaments. It, it, there haven't been too many long VAR breaks or long VAR, VAR checks. And I don't know whether there's been more sort of siding with the referee and, and sticking with his original decision and, and going for it, unless it's completely completely wrong. But this would surely be a situation where it was completely wrong because mm. it, it was a penalty and it would have come at a really important time in the match as well. Yeah, if that's not a clear and obvious wrong decision, then I don't know what is. But uh, yeah, I think they were very, very, very hard done to there. Um, I mean, on that in in that theme, Matt, is it fair to say that France have, have sort of rode their luck a little bit in, in the last two games at this tournament? You know, a little bit fortunate with with Harry Kane missing the penalty against England, mm. of course, and then in this game, some uh, you know decisions going their way and that kind of thing. Is it uh, does that bode well or does that bode badly for them? Do you think? 
Um, well, we always talk about champions riding their luck and maybe getting away with one or two. So it's kind of technically fitting into the exact storyline that you'd have panned out for a winning team <laughs> at the World Cup. Yeah, they may have ridden their luck, but they've also put together some, you know, some very devastating attacks and been clinical where they needed to be. And I don't know, I guess I guess you always have the argument teams make their own luck, right? If they're in the position um if they're in the position that they're in, it's usually because they've worked hard to get there. Um and then these things come off for them, like the goal, for example, you know, that they're, they're causing danger in the box. Yes, it happens to fall to Colin Yeah, again with the decisions, I don't know make your own luck or maybe is that on the side of very unfortunate for Morocco I think these things tend to sort of even themselves out throughout the tournament Um, so yeah maybe maybe to say they've luckily got to a World Cup final is a bit too much of a stretch (laughs) yeah it is a bit it is a bit yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how they they get on in the final on Sunday. One man who is going to be uh, at the fulcrum of France's uh, performance on on Sunday is going to be Antoine Griezmann. I thought he was outstanding again against Morocco. Um, he's really sort of taken that that number ten position, um, made it his own in this tournament. Joel, I think, and uh, you know the way he peeled away from the, the, the defender to set up the first goal was really impressive. He's putting a shift in, you know, tracking back, putting tackles in, that kind of thing. Do you think having you know been thought of as a forward player, as a striker for most of his career, that actually he was an attacking midfielder all along, and that's where he should play from now on. Yeah, it's quite possible, isn't it? I think he, the performance against Morocco last night was sort of one that was a, a complete midfield performance because he was he's, he seems to pop up everywhere in the in the France box and and cut out loads of Morocco attacks. He like he provided a lot of like vital interventions. He, he always seems to be there, and um, which I'm sure really annoyed the Morocco fans watching. Um, it's just it's it, it surprised me. I think it surprised many people that he's providing these kind of performances because he's always been, you know, the the guy to provide the assists, to score the goals, and to sort of. Um, a chip in at the other end, but I, th- I think he's he's been everywhere. He's been everywhere this tournament, and um, I think last night he, he stepped up because they were missing Adrian Rabio, who's obviously a lot, you know, sort of can do that sort of uh, dirty work as well, and and um, and also sort of get box to box. I think Griezmann did that job last night and and covers for the loss of that re- loss of Rabio really well, um, and, he, and he's been brilliant. He, he's he's sort of. Um, in that sort of new position he is playing, because I, I do think it's it's not one he's played too much before, you know, sort of slash half number ten, half sort of number eight kind of a uh, kind of position. He's knitting everything together really well, the midfield and the attack. So you know, going forward, he, he's doing the business as well. It's um, it's 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 impressive to see, and I, I think it's 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 nice to see him get back to form because it's been a few years where. He's been out of it a bit, and I think the the big move to Barcelona didn't quite work out as as he would have planned. And then, you know, he obviously returns to Atletico on loan, but didn't quite set the world alight there like he did the first time. And it, but you know, this season he's been, he's been really good this season for Atletico and chipped in important goals. And um, it's a good thing they can play him for more than thirty minutes now, isn't it? Um, because he's he's doing a job for them. But um, I think maybe he's been humbled a bit by. The move to Barcelona and not quite working out, mm. and that he sort of uh, have to come back to Atletico with uh, his tail between his legs and uh, asking <laughs> to be played again. Um, and I think that's humbled him a bit. And now we're seeing a Griezmann that is not only doing the the flashy good match winning bits, but also doing the important teamwork bit, which contributes to his team getting to a World Cup final. And fair play to him; he's probably going to be in the team of the tournament for me. Yeah, definitely for me as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ibrahim Kanate having a good game for France in this game as well. He's uh, he's drafted in for the uh, uh, 
uh, the well, I think he was ill, wasn't he? Upper Meccano uh, having to drop out. Were you? Uh, he made a pretty heroic block in the in the second half. Matt, are you are you a fan of Canates from what you've seen of him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Joel will definitely know this more than I do. Um, yeah, I think he's absolutely fantastic, and it really shows the strength of depth right in the French squad that if Upper Meccano drops out, then Canate can come in, be equally as brilliant, and not really have to worry too much about things. I would say that a bigger um, a bigger sort of, not worry maybe, because I think, um, uh, blimey, Fafana, sorry, I completely lost his name there. Uh, <laughs> Fafana coming in for Rabio is maybe a bigger call. Like, will he play as well? They're different style of players. But I think Canate coming in for Pumacano is not, not really much of a difference. I don't think you'd notice because they're both very, very good players. Um, and yeah, I just, I can't see that, especially a centre-back, that things change too much regardless of, of which one of them is playing. He, he, he grew a confidence last season for Liverpool um, because he does end up starting the Champions League final, which was a, a big call at the time uh, ahead of uh, Joel Matip. But um, it, it wasn't sort of... That would make a bit of a surprise at the time and he ends up being probably Liverpool's best player in the Champions League final. And I think that shows you how far mm. he's coming in a in a small period of time. He you know, scores vital goals in the Champions League for Liverpool, scores in the FA Cup semi-final against Manchester City as well. So he's uh, he's sort of taken on sort of more, became a bit more confident as the season went on. But you know, I, I think personally, he's probably Liverpool's best defender right now uh, on current form and, and current standing. And I think he's just, he's, he's incredible a sort of, being a front foot defender and nipping and uh, sort of intercepting the pass, you know, when you know when a midfielder is trying to play to opposition attacker to feet, but he's also just you know incredible as one on one battles as well. Someone tries to dribble past them, you very rarely see him get done in, in that mm. sort of circumstance, and uh, I, I think it's incredible to see it. It's, it's just the one thing about him is that he does tend to pick up a bit of an injury and he's had a few uh, injuries during his time, during his sort of 18, 24 months at Liverpool where he's, you know, missed a few games here and there and that's, that's the only thing that's maybe holding him back. But it was, um, it was incredible to see last night because I, I think he was, he was brilliant and that, you know, block that you alluded to there where he cuts out a pretty much near tapping for Hakim Ziyech is, you know, mm. end, end up probably being sort of match winning for them and then, um, it's great because he's still so young as well. But uh, France have got a sort of a, an embarrassment of riches at centre back, haven't they? When, you, when <laughs> yeah. you think who's missing there as well from the tournaments and who could come back in, and and then for, and William Saliba's not had a sniff this tournament as well, um, mm-hmm. and he, he's not bad, is he? So it's a yeah, fair play to them. Yeah, the whole country is an embarrassment of riches in terms of football talent, I think, isn't it? Like, you know, you think of the fact that, uh, you know, half that Morocco team were born in France as well and probably could have played for France if uh, if circumstances had been different. It's, uh, yeah, very uh, enviable, uh, but, you know, fair play to them. Uh, yeah, just to finish on this one, there was a, an interesting report knocking around last night, Matt. I don't know if you saw this. I think it was BN Sports reported it, that France reckoned that Upper Meccano and Rabio uh, picked up their their virus. Uh, I don't think it was COVID, but whatever whatever it is they're suffering from, from the England players <laughs> after playing against them the other night. It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Well, who in particular? I don't know. I don't know. Was Jordan Pickford sneezing on everyone at the end or something? <laughs> or like... well, well, surely more French players would have the flu then. You'd think so, wouldn't or you? Or more yeah. English players would. Yeah, you've yeah. you've beat us. Move on. Stop rubbing it in, <laughs> for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, I, I've no idea. I mean, it's nice and warm over there. I can't imagine people getting a cold or a flu too much. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit bizarre. Yeah. 
Unless they've been doing something they shouldn't have been in, uh, you know, partying or something like that. In which yeah, case, they've true. only got themselves to blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You can't party before <laughs> the final. <laughs> exactly. Let's have a, a quick word before we talk about the final on the on the third place playoff. Uh, you know, it's always a bit of a non-event, a bit of a, a dead rubber. You know, I remember the England-Belgium one at the last World Cup. You could tell neither of them wanted to be there. It was just got sort of going through the motions. Mm. But I wonder, Joel, this year, whether it takes them a bit of extra significance, you know, with Morocco getting to the semi-final, being the first African team to do so. Would it be a, a big historic moment for them to be the, the first African third place uh, playoff winners? Yeah, I think it's going to mean the world to him. Um, It'll, it'll mean everything to them to be able to say they finished third in, in the World Cup and finished third in the tournament. And, and and they'll probably think they deserve something from their journey, to be honest. And and, and although, you know, it doesn't sound like much finishing third or fourth to, to us, I think if they can say, well, we've got, you know, we did so well in the World Cup and we were the third best team, that is something you can never take away from them if, if they can do it. And um, I, I don't think it'll mean as much to Croatia at all, to be honest. Um yeah. I, th- I think they're sort of they'd like to be back home right now. Wouldn't need to be to be fair. Um, I, th- I think they sort of, you know, they've done they've done their adventure now, and it's it's not worked out for them in the end. And I think they just want to get off home. But uh, I think with Morocco, I, I think they can sort of uh, cheat themselves back up and and sort of just, in a way the pressure's off, isn't it? Because the game, uh, you know. On, on the outside doesn't mean too much and I, th- I think Morocco they'll, 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 you know they'll be thinking this could be a sort of a, a celebration and a party of the, of what they've achieved over the past three four weeks and um, as we know from every game so far that they played and the, the you know the stadium's going to be full of Morocco fans and I think I think it'll be sort of a big party and I, I don't think I think if, if you're a Croatia player you'd be thinking do we really have to play this? I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. be asked of them, you know. So I, I can see Morocco wouldn't it, and then and I, I absolutely hats off to them for being able to have sort of something, although a bit of a consolation prize, but something to show from there from the World Cup. Yep, very much so, very much so. Yeah, moving on to the final now, which is of course Argentina and France on Sunday. Uh, who's your money on, Matt? If you're putting any money on it, or if, you know, oh. theoretically speaking, theoretically <laughs> monopoly money. Um, <laughs> God, I tell you what, I, I couldn't call it. I keep thinking, well, you're right, with all the Messi mania and Messi kind of being forced into my brain, like I can't see any other option but Argentina and Messi winning it. But France are France. They, as we've discussed, they know how to win it. I really, oh, I couldn't call it. I would probably just edge with France, though. Mm. The know-how, the quality in the squad, and I think Argentina's defence, they might, go slightly more defensive. Uh, we saw them switch to a back five against the Netherlands, although they went to back to back four against Croatia. I can see I can see some damage from France. So yeah, I think them just to edge it maybe one nil. Yeah. My my heart says Argentina, but my head says France. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Joel? I do think the whole narrative of the whole tournament has been building towards Messi winning it and Argentina winning it. And I and I think they've over the past four or five years under Lionel Scaloni they've been building for this moment and they've you know have had sort of a a great sort of club like atmosphere within the squad and I, and I think that's going to end up getting them over the line um, I, you know I'm not going to say Messi's going to score the winner I, I don't think that'll happen but <laughs> I think you know Argentina will win although there is a little part of me which can see a situation where it become the pressure and the and the sort of emotion of situation of the of the game becomes too much for Argentina and and France managed to keep a clear ahead and managed to 
do their job. And I can also have a bit of a premonition where Messi goes off injured in the first half, mm. uh, which would be oh. you know something because obviously he was fe- feeling his hamstring a lot during the um, the first half of the game against right, Croatia. Yeah. And I do wonder whether you know he's end up playing through something there, and I, I do wonder whether that might become a bit too much for him. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not, but uh, you know you've, you've seen things like this happen in finals. Ronaldo goes off injured in the Euro mm. twenty sixteen final. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens, you know. Yeah, I feel like he'd have to go off in a body bag to uh, leave this final early. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, could, I could I could kind of see that happening as well. Yeah, yeah you know, watching France, like we said, they, they have been riding the luck. They have been, you know, getting the breaks. I wonder if it's going to catch up with them. Or I wonder if they, they've got another gear to go up to and, and this. And yeah, I think the emotional factor, like you say, Joel, could be could be pretty massive as well. Um, do you reckon, Matt, that, uh, you know, we talk about Messi deciding things. Do you reckon Mbappe could have a, have a big say on this game? Would, would he be uh, the, the most decisive possible player for France? Or maybe Giroud as well? Uh, yeah, I think there will be. I, I realise that I don't like to actually boil it down to just two players playing each other. Like it's just Messi versus Mbappe. Um, but they are the two best players on the pitch. So I feel like there will be more decisive um, than others. And I can especially see... The thought of, of um, Otamendi again running against Kylian Mbappe, like we saw in that, what was it, the last 16 in 2018? Yeah. Uh, where Mbappe sort of gave Otamendi like 20 yards head start and still won a penalty. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I feel like that could be something that Otamendi might be slightly worried about. And just with the form that Mbappe's in and the confidence through the French squad, I can see him him having, a, I can see both of them having big impacts, but I think... Yeah, I think Mbappe's just going to nick it for France, to be honest. Yeah, I've been slagging Otamendi off this whole tournament and he's not really done anything to sort of live up yeah, to yeah, my yeah. Uh, my criticism yet. So uh, he's surely got some hijinks in him. He's surely going to yeah. give a penalty away in the final <laughs> yeah. or something now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a question I was tempted to ask you, Joel, but I think it's a it's a bit of a hospital past this, but where will the final be won and lost? I don't really like that question very much. It's a bit vague, but do you have any, any theories on what could be the decisive factor in this? That is a hospital pass, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, I. The I team that scores the most goals will win. I think. That's my <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Michael Owen. <laughs> <laughs> I think finals never tend to be very exciting and do the um, and it's usually one goal that, that separates it. So it wouldn't surprise me end up being you know a penalty or a set piece to be honest. But I think the the midfield is where if is where I think it could, you know, that, that's, that strikes out to me as being where it could be won and lost, should we say, because Argentina's midfielders has now, has put in some really good performances, Enzo Fernandez, uh, Alexis McAllister, and uh, Leandro Paredes, when he's coming, has, has done really well. And I think if they can get a hold of that there and they can sort of, you know, manage to keep hold of Griezmann, stop him floating around, win the energetic battle with Rabio, and uh, manage to sort of, you know, put some fear into Tuchemeni as well. If they can stop the ball getting to Mbappe and getting to uh, Dembele and, and stop them sort of exploiting the wings, and, and they do that by holding the midfield down, I think they can stop France playing and they can go from there. And I think it works better for Argentina to make this a bit of a let's say one for a better phrase, a shite game. I think they'll they'll be they'll be better if they can just make a bit of a scrap and, you know, uh, get their goal for a set piece or or as it seems to work for the whole tournament to find a penalty from somewhere. And I think that works for Argentina better than it does for France. I think France need to have space to put their wingers in and, and, and get the ball down the line and get it into the box of Giroud. And I think if Argentina could make a bit of a scrap and make a bit of a dogfight, I think that works better for them. Yeah, agreed, yeah. 
Yeah, if you told me three months ago, Matt, that Adrian Rabio would be being talked about as a crucial player in a World Cup final, I'm, I'm not sure I would have believed you, really. It didn't seem like his career was going in that, that direction, but it, it's been quite the turnaround for him. Do you think he is so crucial to France that they, they need him back, or, or would you would you back Fafana to, to do a job in the final if he has to play? Um, I'd back Fafana to do a job, for sure. But yeah, Rabio seems so key. He's been really good form for Juventus, but it just, I don't know, there's this odd thing about France where they seem to have players in key positions that aren't really there for their club side. Like it was like the whole Griezmann thing, like he's mm. not going to go back and suddenly demand to Simeone that he's number eight. <laughs> um, you know, Rabio again, is is someone who hasn't had the greatest of uh, a past a history with a French team, yet is so key to them. Um, Hugo Lloris can't win a trophy for love nor money, but is on the verge of two World Cup trophies. So they seem to have this weird way of having key players... Uh, only for their national team. And I guess Adrian Rabiot is definitely one of them. He just fits, I guess. It just fits the French puzzle and everything that they need is, yeah, kind of the the backup work to what Griezmann does in the middle, a great protector as well if the front four, good box-to-box, all-round all action. But for me, if I was to pick one key player from that midfield, it would be Chouameni. I thought, again, last night, he's a joke. Like, yeah. He's so good at everything. Um, and I know it's, you know, big... Uh, powerful, um, um, sort of very physical, but very adept footballers from the past. It's easy to kind of draw the link to the likes of Patrick Vieira in the middle of the park. But my God, he's like the reincarnation. It's a joke. Like, <laughs> he's so, he was brushing off people left, right and centre, surging forward. He can carry it. He, yeah. The thought of playing up against him and Rabiot gives me an absolute nightmare. Like, you get absolutely <laughs> battered. So yeah, too many for me, one of the best players of the tournament. And um, yeah, I think Fafana can definitely step in and do a good job as well. Yeah. It's funny we talked about sort of best players of their generation earlier. I wonder yeah. how long we'll have to wait before Patrick Vieira stops being the reference point for yeah. like quality like box-to-box midfielder like that. Because there'll be people listening to this podcast who weren't even alive when Patrick Vieira was playing for Arsenal <laughs> probably, will they? Yeah, you, you are uh, right. We've got to replace him at some point. But yeah. I guess that also is testament to how good Vieira was that we're still yeah. talking about him as as the bar. But yeah, Chouameni is is on course to reach that bar, probably smash through it, um, yeah. given his age. So yeah, he's, he's, he's his joke, man. He's so good. So yeah. Right, let's finish today with a score prediction. I'll let you have first dibs on that, Joel. I am going to go Argentina 2-1 after extra time. Ooh. Matt? Ooh, I think I said 1-0 earlier, so I'm going to go for 1-0. 1-0. To France, to France. To France, right. Yeah. Okay, wow. Uh, I'm going to go Argentina on penalties then after a uh, insipid nil-nil draw. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> For some reason, I like the idea of that. Yeah. <laughs> imagine the scenes when Argentina win on penalties, but Messi misses his. <laughs> carried, absolutely carried. That's that's all there. Yeah. says on Twitter, yeah. Nicolas Otamendi <laughs> to score the winning penalty and win the World yeah. Cup for Argentina. That would be a, a real two fingers up to oh me. Oh my it? God, yeah. <laughs> Funny. Right, that will do us for today then. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks to Matt and Joel for joining us. We'll be back in the early part of next week to review the World Cup final and the World Cup as a whole and uh, perhaps to look ahead to the glorious return of domestic football. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the final. Uh, Stay tuned and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time.